And uh, turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Acts uh, chapter 4. And uh, while you're turning there, I'll just tell you quickly what happens in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John perform an incredible miracle on uh, a man who's 40 years old who's been lame from birth. And uh, it's, it's an astounding miracle. Loads of extra people decide to join the first church as a result of the miracle. Um, but they run into religious resistance. And we're going to pick up that story from Acts chapter 4, and uh, you should be able to uh, follow it up on the screen. Uh, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching uh, the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put, put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. And if you look around you this morning, you can see that that was a totally stupid thing to ask. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And it's this particular passage, this little, well, this, this section, the back end of Acts chapter 4, that we're going to focus in on this morning. So listen to this prayer. Listen closely. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. 
Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. First things, I would say to you, are really important. Things that happen first. Now, you may not know this about me, but I actually achieved a world first. Back in 1995, in my company, I was the first person to get my IT department certified to ISO 9000 as a subcontractor to General Motors. Yeah, I can tell you're all thrilled. Actually, it was a world first. Nobody else had achieved that. Okay, so that's not that great, right? It's just a job thing. But actually, firsts, when they happen, they're very significant. Think about who it was that... Like, got to the South Pole first. That was pretty cool. Or what about Neil Armstrong being the first person to stand on the surface of the moon? We all know his name. In fact, we're celebrating 50 years of that happening. That was an incredible thing that he achieved. Standing on the moon first. What about that guy, Roger Bannister, who managed to run, uh, like, a mile in under four minutes for the first time? That was an incredible achievement, too. How about the internet? We seem so dependent upon the internet these days. When did that first appear? 1990. Not that long ago, really. Special date for you? The 21st of March, 2006, just three days after my youngest son, Adam, was born. The first ever tweet. How about that? And now it's used by pop stars and presidents and everybody, isn't it? Firsts are very significant and very important. And uh, one of the things I think firsts do is they set a kind of benchmark. They set something out there. They set a, a bar to which we all aspire and we look at and think, wow, that was, that was the first time somebody did that. They set a precedent that kind of ripples through history. They provide a blueprint for how things are now going to be going forward. Firsts are very, very significant. And as I've been, as I've been reading through Acts one, two, three, and 4, one of the things I notice about this prayer, and I think I'm right in saying this, that this is the first record of the first prayer in the first church. First record, first prayer, first church. Now, we know that the disciples prayed together to appoint Matthias. That's fine. And then the Holy Spirit comes along in Acts chapter 2, and the church is born, and they do all these things, you know, they devote themselves to prayer, don't they? Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and to fellowship. We know that they did that. And in fact, John and Peter are on their way to the time of prayer at the beginning of Acts chapter 3. So prayer is right there. But this prayer in Acts chapter 4 is the very first record of the very first prayer in the very first church. And Luke has recorded it for a reason because it contains some great things in it. 
Now, I've taken the liberty of creating a little card for you because I think that there are three things in this church. Uh, sorry, there are three things in this prayer that I want the church, our church, BCC today, to be blessed with. So just pick this card up a minute and you'll see those three things uh, on the back of this little green card. I want, I'd really, my heart for you would be really that you take this card with you and you have it in your wallet, you stick it to your bathroom mirror, you've got it in your car. Uh, one of our elders, Jane, I don't think she's here today, but she, st- she uh, sellotaped one of these cards once to the back of her phone. That's just so flattering for a pastor. Please don't lose these. These are great. Use this in your own devotional prayer life. And here's the threefold pattern that I see in this first record of the first prayer of the first church. Three things go on. Number one, give God praise in all his ways. That's what they do first. Number two, know your scripture to see the picture. That basically means that you can frame everything that's going on in your life and everything that's going on in the world around you with the help of the Bible. Have you noticed how they quote Psalm 2, these guys in this first church prayer? They quote Psalm 2 and they use that as a way of understanding what's going on around them now. And Psalm 2 is written hundreds of years before uh, this event took place. And yet it speaks into that event. And we should do the same with scripture. And the third thing is believe God's deeds will surpass your needs. Believe God's deeds will surpass your needs means that as you're praying, have a high belief and a high expectation that God will come through for you and do far more than you, are, you can ask or imagine. In fact, sometimes when you ask God to do stuff, what he does not only takes the need away, but it completely reframes everything so that like, even you having to think about the need doesn't apply anymore. So I want you to take this card and keep this and use it in your prayer life. And this would look like you would start a prayer with Sovereign Lord. God Almighty, Father in Heaven. And then you use scripture to inform and understand the situation you're in right now. You'd find a psalm that would speak to exactly what you're going through. Or you'd think about your scripture and you would know how your knowledge of scripture would inform your understanding of where you're at right now. And then you would pray in expectation and in belief that God would do incredible things. And that he can really, really uh, help you out uh, and change uh, everything around for you. I would say that if first things are important in life, then they're even more important in the Bible. Think of a few of the first things you know about. Garden of Eden. That's a first thing, isn't it? In the Garden of Eden story, we see God's plan for how he wants to connect and relate with human beings. We see uh, his sense of provision, his sense of order, his his sense of that we are to have dominion over the earth. And before we mess it all up with the fall and do our own thing, that was God's first idea of how he wanted things to be. And when we come to return our tithes uh, into our spiritual house, uh, when we take up our offerings, there's the principle called the first fruits. And, And what that is, it's saying, God, that first bit of what you've given me is actually yours and I'm going to return that to you. And then what God does with the rest is he blesses and redeems and protects the rest. And so the principle of the first is very important with our tithes and offerings. One of the other things I notice as well is that Jesus does something before he does any work or any ministry. And what's that? Well, he goes and gets baptized. And he's in the Jordan and John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. And there's this voice comes out of heaven and it says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Now, what does that say? about firsts it says that Jesus is loved by his father 
and that the Father loves us first before we do anything for him. And that's really important for some of us to hear because sometimes we kind of do things to please God. God is already pleased with us if we've received his son Jesus. Yeah, so that's a first thing right there. So first things are so important. And I think Luke includes this prayer so that we know what that first prayer says and how it can help us in our prayer lives. So let's ask some questions. Uh, I'm not going to try and go through all these points today. There's actually, you know, when you prepare a message, sometimes it becomes apparent to you that you've actually got three messages on your hands. And I think this morning I'm only going to focus on one thing. We're going to look at give God praise in all his ways this morning, and that's it. And if I get an opportunity to preach the other two, then I'll do that. That's great. But we're just going to look at that very first point on your card. Give God praise in all his ways. So what does it mean to praise God? What does praise look like? Well, let me give you a definition in a sentence. Praising God is describing God's character and qualities and attributes back to him. That's what praise is. So if we describe God as majestic or sovereign Lord or heavenly father or uh, great and awesome God who does incredible things, that is praise. And I know I'm right because I've checked it with Kevin. And Kevin is kind of like our worship director and he knows these kinds of things, don't you, Kevin? Okay, kind of. You're so humble. (laughs) Praise is when we describe God's quality and character and nature back to him. That's what praise is. Now, it's, it wouldn't be right to say that all the prayers in the Bible have got praise at the beginning. That's not a fair thing to say. Um, there's prayers are varied according to the different needs and circumstances and people who say them. However, some of the very significant prayers in the Bible do start with praise. If you think of Jacob and Esau, they fall out. Uh, any, anyone, ever hear, anyone here ever fallen out with a sibling? Like really bad, you know, like a row that's lasted forever. Well, Jacob and Esau did that, okay? And it lasted years and years and years. And Jacob finds himself in a place of wanting to reconnect with Esau, but really fearful for his life, really thinking that Esau's even going to kill him. And he prays a prayer that reminds God of his promises to him. That is praise. When you remind God of who he is and his nature and his promises, that's praise. Nehemiah, at the beginning of Nehemiah chapter 1, he's heartbroken about the state of the city. The walls are broken down, and he opens with praise to God. It's a great prayer. It really deserves study. If you ever want an insight into how to pray, look at that prayer. But it says, he opens it by saying, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. That's opening a prayer by stating praise of who God is back to him. And also, of course, we have the most famous and the most well-known prayer of all time, which is the Lord's Prayer. And how does the Lord's Prayer begin? It starts with, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And what does hallowed mean? Hallowed means holy. And so the beginning of the Lord's Prayer that we're taught to pray by Jesus himself, it opens with praise. Praise is so, so important. What I think is going on here with the Acts 4 church is that they are, they are opening in praise to tackle resistance to God head on. Peter and John have come back from a really tough time. They've spent the night uh, in the cooler. Uh, you know, the, the, the guys have thrown them in the jail. They've had resistance. They've had threats. They've faced the same council that took Jesus to the cross. 
you know, this is not like a kind of uh, like a, a year three debate in primary school. This was a serious deal. They faced a real possibility uh, of of persecution and death, and, and that's what had happened to Jesus. And they go into this same council, and this same council tell them off in no uncertain terms: you are not to do that. And yet they're so convicted by God, they can't obey that. And then what they do is they come back with having had that resistance on them and they share it among the church. And the church get round them and pray for them and they open in praise. And that's very significant. That's very, when you are in a crisis, when you're coming just out of a crisis, the fastest way to reconnect to God is to praise him and to speak out his praise. It absolutely is. And we find that really hard sometimes, don't we? We find that the hardest thing, it's like an act of the will to do it. But you know what? We have to be people who live out of our decisions and our commitments, not necessarily our feelings always. Praise reconnects us to God faster than anything else, especially in difficulty or when we're experiencing resistance or hardship. You know, one of the things that I notice about the people on this panel in this religious council is it includes Anas and Caiaphas. And these guys were not nice blokes at all. In fact, they plotted in John's Gospel to kill Jesus and Lazarus because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. They are very, very anti what Jesus is about. Um, And so hence these guys come back and they get some prayer and this prayer starts to tackle that resistance that they've been experiencing. The devil hates praise. The devil hates praise with everything he is. And so one of the best ways to really irritate the hell out of the devil is to praise God. Because what happens is, when you praise God, you are re-establishing the supremacy of who God is and his character and his nature back, centre, front and square in your life. And the devil hates it. He absolutely hates it. If you want to annoy the enemy, praise God. Because you are speaking out who God is and he hates that. Take it to the enemy in praise. Now on the card I've put praise, give God praise in all his ways. And I just want to explain what I mean by in all his ways a little bit. Because sometimes we go through hard things in life, don't we? We go through tough seasons. We go through periods of time where we cannot work out which way is up. We've tried praying and it doesn't seem to get answered. We have real, real difficulty in connecting with God. We don't feel like coming to church. We feel like everything's against us. We feel like everything's gone wrong. We're in a really difficult season. And yet, we should praise God in all his ways because he's still doing things with us. He is still carrying our lives along. And I want to try and unpack that a bit more and look at that and see what's going on when we have those times of real, real difficulties. Let me give you an illustration. When I was back in school, I was in the cadets, uh, like a kind of version of the army, but for civilians. And uh, every now and then, we'd go off for the weekend and do crazy things with regular soldiers. You know, we'd go camping or walking or... One particular time, we went orienteering. Now, orienteering is like you get given a map and you're told to run about on a hillside until you found all the points that they want you to find. And the map has got all the clues as to where to find things. And in each location, there's like a little stapler. And the stapler's got a unique pattern on it. And what you do is you run to that point and you find the thing and it's like under a tree or in a little cave or something and you staple your card to show that you've found that point successfully as you're running about. Yeah? So the soldiers set this all up for us and we all got set off to run around. The only difficulty was it was drizzling hard, like raining, and it was very, very foggy. 
And we were on this mountainside and, and these hillsides, and they were covered in pine trees. It was really grim weather. And what happened was this fog was really, really thick, and I started to try and find these points, and I found some of them. And then I started to climb a bit because I thought that some of the points were high up. And I think I was right, and I was following a good sense of, I've got a good sense of direction, and I was trying to find these points, but the fog was so thick. And I don't know if you've ever been in a really thick fog, but voices dim down, don't they? You can't hear as well in a, in a fog. And what happened was that these soldiers that were blowing their whistle and shouting and stuff, that got more and more faint. And I started to get more and more concerned because I was like getting more and more lost. And I'm somebody that's got a great sense of direction and I always know where I am, apart from Milton Keynes. I don't know, I always get lost in Milton Keynes, but I always know where I am. And I, I found myself lost in this fog at the top of a hill. And I did not know where I was. And I started to panic a little bit, if I'm honest. I got disconnected from the, the other cadets doing the orienteering. And then suddenly this really cool thing happened. that The light in the sky seemed to get brighter and brighter and brighter. And then, for about three or four minutes, this gap appeared in the clouds and the fog. And suddenly, I could see everything. I could see the whole hillside. I could see some of my mates down in the valley below. I could see the two points that I was looking to find. I was actually quite close to one of them, and I was able to find the other one. It was still raining. I don't know how it does that. It rains while it's still clear. I don't know. It's just like a lot of rain. And then the fog came back, and I was lost in the fog again. And I eventually found my way back. But for a few moments, I was able to see... Praise works like that in the spiritual. When you praise, it clears the spiritual fog so that you can reconnect with who God is and you can see where you are and you know what is going on. That is the power of praise when we praise God. I think that when these guys came back to their prayer meeting and they prayed praise to begin with, it cleared the spiritual fog for Peter and John. It's quite significant. It doesn't say who prayed. Someone prayed. And it's an absolutely cracking prayer that they prayed. I'm not sure it was Peter or John. I don't know. It doesn't say. But they must have been encouraged and strengthened by hearing those opening words. Sovereign Lord, you created the heavens and the earth and everything in them and the seas and everything like that. It just reframes everything and puts everything back in its right perspective, doesn't it? God is in charge again when we praise. So I want to I take you through how this works a little bit. And um, I'm going to show you a, like a graphic here. This is how our lives work. We're kind of journeying along in this white bit. And the red arrow represents what's happening in your life. And you can, by and large, see all of that. You know what's going on. You can understand the journey of your life and where you're going to and from and what's happening and your job and all those kinds of things. You have a sense of your place in the world. You see stuff. You get it, okay? That's your life. However, above that, we have the realm of what I would call is heaven. And heaven's above that, and we don't really know what is happening in heaven. Now, we know that heaven's incredibly good. Heaven's a great place to be, but we can't see into it. And, you know, our lives would be so, so different if we could get to glimpse heaven more often than we do. I actually think for people to genuinely glimpse heaven is very rare. Um, something you might want to look up this afternoon, uh, go onto Google and type in box jellyfish man, vision of heaven. Don't do that now, but do it later. There's a guy who got nearly stung to death. Well, I think he did die uh, by a box jellyfish, and he's got an incredible testimony of seeing what heaven was like. 
Um, I actually heard him speak once live. It was incredible. He's an incredible guy. And it turned into a lifelong ministry to to try and say to people, hey, heaven in the Bible is real, people. You need to wake up to that because I've seen it. But that's very, very rare. And most of us, and myself included, we don't often get a glimpse into what heaven is really, really like. We also have really difficult times where we descend into the spiritual fog and we cannot see where things are. It might be a painful season. We might have lost our job. We might, have, we might be navigating a relationship breakup. It might be that a horrible setback has occurred to us in our workplace. It might be we've been accused of something that we didn't do. Um, there might be somebody that we love that's you know, been put in prison or... or Something really horrible has happened and we do not know what to make of it. We find it really difficult to get our bearings. We don't understand what God is doing with us. So those are kind of the three layers of the kind of the sandwich of life. Heaven above, our life is going along in the middle and then we have these difficult times underneath that. Let's look at what then happens with that. I've um, kind of tried to illustrate this concept by what I'm calling spiritual diamonds. A spiritual diamond is when God places a prize in your life, something of incredible worth and beauty, Uh, and uh, it's it's got residual strength in it. It won't go away. It's a definite thing that he did, and what I've done is I've shown when we get saved that that's the biggest diamond of all. That's the thing that God does that's the most incredible thing in many ways, really. That's That's what happens when we get saved is we get given salvation by Jesus And that's what then happens in our lives. Let me give you an illustration of that. When Jesus went to the cross, uh, two people were crucified either side of him. And one of those people rejected Jesus out of hand. Didn't want anything to just scorned him. The other one said, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? He had a heart attitude that was open to who Jesus was. And as a result, Jesus said, today, surely you will be with me in paradise. And his heart attitude of being willing to follow Jesus in that moment, right at the 11th hour, was that he gained the biggest spiritual prize that Jesus awards anybody, which is salvation. Salvation means that we follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. And we've decided it in our hearts, and it's going to happen for the rest of our days. We're just following him. And that's a decision we've made. So one of the biggest spiritual, well, the biggest spiritual diamond that we have, if you like, if we see a diamond as something of spiritual worth and just use that picture to try and understand that, salvation's it. But we also have all these other things that happen um, in our journey. Um, if you think about the different things that we can sometimes be blessed with in God, we might take a faith step and it really works. We took a risk on God and God came through for us. And then we park that in our history and we go, yeah, that was the thing. You did that for me, God. Or we see something in God's word one morning when we're having our quiet time. And I hope you're all having a quiet time. It's so important. You will not hear from God with your Bible shut. Amen? It's gone distinctly quiet. Be reading the word of God every day. God will give you spiritual diamonds once in a while. And you'll go, oh, wow, I get it. And that will go into the fabric of your history and be very important for you. Um, what about that time when you first get, get filled with the Holy Spirit or if you get filled, filled with the Spirit repeatedly? Those are incredibly important times of encounter that you can just look back on and go, yeah, that's just an amazing thing. I remember the first time I kind of got filled with the Spirit and I, I did fall over and someone caught me and laid me on the ground. And it was just the most beautiful experience. I felt like God himself was kind of wiping my brow with his hanky and saying, I love you. I've got you. This is all right. 
it's going to be okay. And I wanted to stay there forever. And the people were tripping over me. I had to get up. It's a wonderful, wonderful encounter. And they go into your history as spiritual diamonds. What about an answered prayer? I love it when God answers prayer. What about that brilliant conference you went to and it wrecked you and you came out a different person and you resolved to do some things? Or what about that habit that the power of Jesus in you broke something and you changed something permanently? And you said, right, God, I'm going to do this thing and I need your help for the next 40 days and I'm giving it the the heave-ho and it's going to go and, and that's it. And you get to day 40 and God's power seals the deal and you never ever struggle with that problem again. That is a spiritual diamond right there. That's the work of being a follower of Jesus, right there. But we also have other stuff. We have those crisis moments. We have those really, really difficult things that are just the hardest things ever. In fact, when we go through them, we think we're going to break. We don't even think we can withstand how hard they are. We feel broken about it. But I want to say to you something. God forges the most beautiful and the most precious spiritual diamonds in those hard places. He does. What he does is he does a deep work in you in those times. You know diamonds get formed by great pressure at great depth. Jesus does that in you when you're going through a very hard time. Now, we don't, we don't want to kind of look at that sometimes. And in fact, in our hard times, we don't even recognize that he's doing that. But it's as we come out of those hard times, and as we start looking back on the effect of those hard times, we realize that God has actually used some of that crisis to form something incredibly precious on the inside. Let me tell you about a couple of times in my life where that's happened. Uh, back in 2012, I was the senior minister of another church just outside High Wycombe. And um, we had a very, very difficult time with unity. The former pastor was still there. And this church was about 120 strong. And um, it, it all broke on Easter Sunday, 2012. Somebody stood up and heckled me. It was horrendous. We had a really, really difficult time with unity. And 70 of the people in that church decided to go with the former pastor and do their own thing down the road. I cannot begin to tell you the pain I felt over that. That was my first church that I got when I came out of Bible college. And I'm standing there thinking, man, you've really stuffed that up. How much do you want to be a pastor? And that was, that was so, so hard. I can't even begin to explain how hard that was feeling that. The aftermath of that in a little village community was so painful. There was a lady who um, hated, she didn't even come to the church. She was one of the cleaners, but we had to lay her off because obviously 70 people go, the income goes right down. And we had to stop her job and she, she hated me. Like if I arrived at the crossroads in my car with my kids on the way to school and she saw me there, she'd stand and look the other way. <laughs> Literally used to do that. And looking back on it, it is, it's ridiculous. But boy, it hurt. It really hurt me. I, I had to go to a very deep place in God to realize that actually maybe that wasn't me and that whoever went into that role would have had that. And therefore, it wasn't about characters or who they had in me. It was just going to happen no matter what. But you know what the spiritual diamond out of that for me was? And I learned about about forgiveness. I learned that forgiveness does actually work. 
Uh, in fact, I, I, went, I went to, myself and Chloe went to, we came here. We came to BCC. I, I, I've known Pastor Mark a long time. And we, we got a hotel. There was a pastor in America who heard our story and he was incredibly sorry about what happened. And he paid for two nights in a hotel. And we came on, I think it was a Wednesday night. And then we spent all day Thursday forgiving people off a spreadsheet. Can you believe that? There was a list of 70 names and we named them all and we said, Lord, I left person X to you and I forgive them and I release them to you. And when we'd been through that process, a curious peace kind of descended. And it was a bit like, you know, if you've ever been to a noisy warehouse and you get the chance to shut the door and walk away. And all the noise dissipated in my head. Forgiveness works. And I'm so glad I bothered to forgive those people because I'm not cynical and bitter anymore about that. God has brought me through that time. That was 2012. In 2014, you kind of know that the issue with my wife, she's got a a disability because of a a slip disc in her back. And uh, she lost mobility and function below her waist. And at first I was praying and praying and seeking God and really pushing for this in prayer and contending. And actually I still am. She is not healed. She has no feeling below her waist. She just makes it look good because she's worked so hard on her physio. She's a great lady, Chloe, I have to tell you. She's an absolute champion. But for me, I went into a season that I'll call the theological cul-de-sac. A cul-de-sac is a little road that goes nowhere. It's got a few houses on it, but it's, no, it's not going anywhere. And I found it really, really hard to pray in that time. Because my reasoning went like this. Well, God, you're good. Um, you've allowed this to happen in some kind of strange way. You know, give God praise in all his ways. I wasn't thinking of that way, God. But you've allowed it, and yet you're not answering my prayers. So we're just going around chasing our tail, you know, chasing our tail in a circle. This isn't going anywhere. And I came to kind of understand that this was what I would call the theological cul-de-sac. I'd pull up in my spiritual car in prayer. No answer there. Okay, see you then. We're not going to talk about that. Because you don't want to answer it today, God. And we had some dark and dirty words, me and God, if I'm really honest. We did. I'll just be dead honest with you about that. And then my prayer life went to nothing. I couldn't even pray. I felt hamstrung by this situation. I didn't know what to do. Found it very, very difficult to pray. And then God connected with me one day. Uh, He kind of doesn't speak to me in 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 a voice, but he gives me an impression that has words in it. And he said to me, so you're a minister and you're trying to get into the theological cul-de-sac and there are people there. Do the people there not deserve a minister then? Because what I was doing was going, I'm not even looking at that. And yet actually there's a whole load of people who have that condition like Chloe and actually they deserve a minister there. I felt really rebuked by God about that. Really rebuked, really told off and really kind of, but in a good way, but like kind of painful way of like, yeah, actually people in that situation deserve a minister to be there. And then a little while later, I felt like uh, God say to me in an impression with words again, um, like all of you guys down on earth, you were all in the theological cul-de-sac since I, uh, until I sent Jesus. We all need Jesus to come and get us out of the cul-de-sac and pull us out of that place where we're stuck. And Jesus does that. And I was like, ow, that's, that's painful, God. Why have you said those things to me? I'm, I'm suffering here with this. 
And it was like God was saying, get over yourself. You need to pray again. You need to start praying for those people who are in that cul-de-sac all stuck. And so I did. And I started to pray again. And I would say one of the spiritual diamonds that has been forged in that incredibly hard time was that I pray for people and I pray about stuff every single day. And I don't care what my feelings are saying. I don't care how I feel about the theological rights and wrongs. You're going to get a prayer. I'm going to pray about your thing. I'm going to pray about my thing. I'm going to make sure God hears me in prayer every single day. And I'm not going to, meet, I'm not going to leave it out. And so the, the, the forging that went on in my crisis was, I will pray every single day. No question, no debate. It just happens. I don't care how you feel, I'm going to pray. And so in my own journey, I understand a little bit about forgiveness. Having experienced a horrible time, I understand a little bit about, no, I'm going to pray no matter what it costs me because that's what we do as Christians. You know, we look at James uh, chapter 1 verses 2 to 4 as Christians and I think we're all in agreement in this room. This is not a truth that we want to hear. It's a painful, painful passage. But it's true. It says this. Consider it pure joy. Yeah, right, James. Thanks for that. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James says a very hard thing, but James is right. He's absolutely spot on. Some of those really tough things create the best diamonds of the highest quality from the deepest place. And we mustn't overlook that. You know, Joseph and his brothers fell out. There was another falling out there when they sold him into slavery. And he went off down to Egypt. And then many, many years later when there was reconciliation, Joseph was able to look back on his spiritual diamond which was this, in Genesis 50, 20, it says this. He says this to his brothers as part of reconciliation. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And you can imagine the spiritual diamonds in Joseph's journey. Forgiveness and reconciliation and patience and providence. All those things that he's gone on in that journey. And God has come through for him out of a very, very difficult time. So what is going on in heaven? Remember that bar I showed you? Remember that bar I showed you of like, we can't really see into heaven? Let's have a look at what heaven looks like. That is what's happening in heaven while you go through your life. Heaven is filled with unlimited spiritual diamonds. It's a place of brilliance and light and goodness. It says in in God's word that God is... um, lives in unapproachable light. That is what's happening in heaven. And I have intentionally placed that time of crisis as a point where heaven nudges closer to earth for you. Receive that into your spirits, church. Whenever you go through that really, really hard time, this is what heaven does. Heaven leans down a little bit and is intensely interested in what's going on with you. You're not being left to your own devices. Oh, no. The angels and God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are passionately interested in what you are going through. And heaven nudges closer 
to us when, our, when we're going through our times of crisis. Now, I don't understand why heaven can't break the boundaries and simply come and be here. What we know is that the Bible teaches that that happens at the end of time. And actually, that's what it's going to be like. We're going to be good at the end of time. That's fine. Why do I say, why do I think that's true? Well, it says in Luke 15.10, it says, All the angels rejoice whenever a sinner repents. And so the interest and the focus of heaven is incredibly high when those spiritual diamonds are being formed in our lives. Something further than that, though, is that Stephen, do you know the, you know the guy Stephen who goes and speaks to the, the council in Acts chapter 7? He faces that same court that Jesus went through, that Peter and John go through, and Stephen goes and faces them out and gives them a fantastic sermon and a message about how they've totally missed it. And he pays for that with his life. And what happens is he's one of those rare people who gets a glimpse into heaven. He sees heaven for a moment. And what does it say there? It says Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father. It's the only time where Jesus is presented as standing up. You can search it in the Bible, but it says in all the other occasions that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And yet on this occasion, and this is another first, somebody prepared to lay their life down for Jesus... Uh, for the sake of the gospel and the sake of the church, Jesus stands up. Heaven is intensely interested in your struggle. Heaven nudges closer when you are going through it. It really is. And I want you to receive that as a deep encouragement into your spirit today. Hebrews 13.5 says this, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I'm going to ask our worship team just to come and join me up on the platform. And I want to give you a a final couple of thoughts. Praise recalibrates us to this picture. That's what praise does. Everything gets stripped away and God's in charge. God is sovereign. God is majestic. He is king over absolutely everything in the cosmos. Our journey is filled with those pockets of things that God has done for us. And actually, those really hard times that you've been through, that's where God has done his deepest and his best and his most precious work in you. Would you stand with me? There's three ways you can respond to this message. We're going to sing, uh, Jesus is greater than it all in just a minute. And the team are going to lead us in worship. And I think praise is absolutely an appropriate response to what we've heard this morning. But there's three ways you can respond. Praise is more powerful in community. Did you notice that Peter and John don't go moping off in a corner by themselves? What do they do when they experience resistance? They get with their church and their church gets around them and church praises alongside them. We need to make sure we do that. When we're going through those tough times, get into church. In fact, be in church so that you've got all those relationships ready to get around you when the, t- when the tough times come. Stay part of church. The second thing we need to do is in our crisis, we need to speak out praise from those depths. That's the hardest thing that a Christian, one of the hardest things that I think a Christian can ever do, a follower of Jesus can ever do, is to speak out praise when things are going really, really badly. That is an act of the will right there. Nothing in our feelings wants us to do that. And yet... If we do it, 
we reconnect to God faster than any other way possible. He reestablishes his majesty and supremacy and his order and everything starts, our feelings follow and everything starts to feel better after that. This is the third thing and this, is, this message is hard today, isn't it? I'm not giving you easy stuff to do here at all. Number three would be praise God for the spiritual diamonds he's forged in the hard places. You know, it occurred to me that if I hadn't had some of my hard times, I would not have an overflow to give to other people. I would not be able to teach about forgiveness like I can if I need to. Those things that were forged in the really, really hard place, and maybe it's being forged right now, actually we need to kind of give God praise and thanks for that however hard it seems and so we're going to sing in just a second thank you guys but I'm going to ask if you identify with any of those three things any of those three things at all just make your way to the front and just have some quiet moments with the Lord don't wait just come straight away as we start to sing thanks to you I fix my eyes upon the cross I'm reaching out with all 